0: What's up everybody, this is published Author and the be all end all of the pro wrestling
1: podcast community, Michael DeMira, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. After you finish this episode of Iron Chair Booking, go ahead and make your way down to my podcast, Finish Your Wrestling, because we're going finish wrestling before it even started. It's time for y'all to finish y'all wrestling, alright, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. ladies and gentlemen welcome back to the armchair book and wrestling podcast i'm your host my name is stunning steve barber joining me as always is my awesome co-host the intellectual rock star himself delicious doylan davis hey everybody and doylan and i are very very excited because our guest for this episode is the living legend Larry Zabesco. how you doing sir thank you thank you gentlemen steve doylan i'm doing great i
0: mean i'm uh I really can't complain. I'm, I'm doing great. God, in two months, I'm going to be 72, wow. but health-wise, I feel like I'm 40. Oh, wow. The skeleton is great. the skeleton's getting a little stiff sore <laughs> after 25 years in the ring, you know. But I've been lucky. I've been really lucky. I've had four little knee scopes, but just with cartilage, I never blew a knee, and I don't need any neck surgeries, back surgeries, artificial parts, and I'm not doing anything to hurt myself. So thank God for stalling. <laughs> yes yeah. uh, you know what that's
1: that's the quote of the day right there yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, I mean nowadays the way these guys are in the ring it really turned into a a really uh, you know high risk kind of action where they're flying and flipping over the ropes and crashing through tables and steel chairs and I mean I mean they're, they're amazing athletes but they're doing dangerous stuff out there. And uh, I'm surprised. We'll see how many of them make it to 50 without an artificial skeleton. Mm, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, an artificial skeleton that would. Well, um, Foley didn't get that far, but I mean, he was pretty close because he broke almost (laughs) every bone in his body at least one. He
0: broke a bunch. You know what? Foley had a secret though. I mean, he was the first guy I saw when I was commentating. I think or in WCW maybe. He was there with time. He was the first guy I saw that ran down the apron and did a flip and landed on the floor.
1: Yes. He yes. was
0: the first guy I saw do that. But at that time, looking he was Cactus Jack to me. Yep. But the thing about Cactus was he had like a normal upper body and a five foot long white ass. So he had this <laughs> so, so when he flipped off the rope and landed, he landed on this gigantic ass. So I think it saved him a lot.
1: <laughs> um, and you know, somebody actually sent us a question uh to ask you. And it's a friend of ours named Kyle. He's actually the former co-host of the show, but he said, there's no real stories of Larry being injured. How did he stay so healthy? Well, you know what? I mean, uh, I really never got injured. I
0: I had, you know, four little knee scopes, two on each knee, but I never blew a knee, never blew an ACL or anything, just little cartilage tears. And they went in and fixed them up. But the thing is, back in my day, when I started in the 70s and through the 80s and even some of the 90s, we weren't doing the things you see on TV today. You know, no one climbed up on the top turnbuckle and flipped off and landed on their heads and but it was a it was a different group of guys. It was guys where if you weren't, you know, 220, 30, 40 pounds or bigger, you won't even get in the door. And they they weren't the kind of athletes we have today that can do a lot of that super athletic stuff. They're great athletes. But they what we had was tough bastards. Billy Robinson, Carl Gotch, I mean, I can name some other guys, but. They didn't care about flipping off the, the top rope. They knew how to break your arm, break your neck, choke you out, pop your knee out, pull your shoulder out. You know, I mean, they were tough bastards. And it was a different a different world, you know, in a different mindset and a different group of guys. I mean, 300-pound pound Ivan Koloff isn't going to run across the ring and do two flips over the top rope and... Wait for three guys standing there with their arms out to catch him. (laughs) You know, but but, but he was a big, I mean, killer Kowalskis and Bill Watts. And I mean, I can keep on going naming them, but they were big, tough, crazy guys. Crazy in a tough way. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. a different breed of man back then. Now they're more athletic. You could almost call them circus stunt performers compared to what it used to be. You know, because back, I couldn't imagine doing what they do today. I'm glad that all happened after I retired because you get killed. I mean, guys are getting hurt left and right. And I think the fans appreciate it because you got a different audience. And the reality is they're amazing athletes and they're doing amazing things. But they're dangerous things, and it happens every match. Every match is the same. Everybody's flying over the top. Everybody's running into a foot. Everybody's flipping over the top rope and crashing to the desk. You know, it's just – I mean, it's amazing what they can do, really. Amazing athletes.
1: Uh, So when you trained, and I'm going to assume this is like probably at 72, 73 when you started your training, you trained with Bruno.
0: Yeah, I started before that in this basement. I was actually just finishing up high school and starting college and working out in Bruno's basement with the weights. I was still wrestling amateur. I wasn't in the pro, but I was working out with him and and did his same workout. That's how I kind of got the same kind of look for a while because his secret was, I mean, it was an upper body business because people saw you on TV from basically, Mm -hmm. you know, your upper groin, your waist up. And they saw that gigantic chest and those trapezius and them big arms. But you got those from doing heavy weight and low reps. Bruno had me, you know, doing wide grip benches. And when I weighed 240 pounds, I was almost 21 getting ready to start. I benched 465 and a half pounds with the one second pause. And I weighed like 240, and then I started doing some you know, little house shows on the weekends, finishing mm-hmm. up school. But yeah, I did his workout, and everything was really heavyweight, heavyweight, low reps. You know, it wasn't the bodybuilder thing; it was the wrestler gorilla thing.
1: So you maxed out, like you said 465 and a half. 465 and a half was my record at 240. Wow, almost almost twice your body weight.
0: Yeah, and that was before the invention of any helpers. You know, that was weird stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what was Bruno's maximum bench? Because I've heard 600 pounds.
0: Yeah, he he held the record for a while. I'm trying to remember, and I don't want to get it wrong, because it's, you know, many brain cells ago. Four sixty-five, five oh five. 465, 505. I mean, he held the record for a while, and I don't know. Something about the five is in my mind. It could have been 500 and some pounds or 605. But it was an amazing... I mean, it was over 500 pounds. Could have been 505, 555. Could have been 605. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, he, he was a gorilla. I mean, his wrists were like 14 inches. You know, I mean, oh, wow. big bone. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, a gorilla. I oh, mean, you oh, looked oh. at Bruno... I don't come close to that. No, nobody does. I mean, he was a a big bone guy. An amazing story because, you know, they escaped World War II. Him, his mom, his brother from the Mm -hmm. Nazis. And when he got to the United States, he was, he almost died. He was suffering so badly from malnutrition because they they couldn't eat. They were escaping. And it was amazing how he looked. But, yeah, no, he was really a, a truly strong, I mean, you looked at his neck. He didn't have a neck. He had trap muscles and chest. You couldn't yeah, hurt him. I mean, he just went him? from his head down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dwayne got it, but he was, yeah. a, he was just a natural gorilla and a super strong guy.
1: So when when it was decided that you were going to turn on Bruno, you know, because um, yeah, I actually watched uh, – I actually had that. I realized I had never seen the match, you know, where it was you testing yourself against Bruno. You're trying to break out from his shadow. Um, the student, you know, uh, getting out under the shadow of his teacher. And then, the you know, the chair came into play. Uh, how hard was that for you to do that? You know, as far as like, not physically, but like mentally, like.
0: Well, it, it was kind of a, a nerve wracking controlled experience. Because at the time. I was looking for the big break. I was like maybe twenty five, twenty six years old or so, and by that time I was known as Bruno's protege, even to promoters. They'd say, "Hey, maybe we can bring this kid," in we because you know, we got magazines out of New York. What's his name? Yeah, the Bruno protege guy. I didn't. My name was getting lost. I was just Bruno's protege. Ah, uh, gotcha. And That's at the true. at the same time, Bruno retired. After injuries and years and 20 years of selling out the garden, he was doing the voiceover, talking with Vince. Mm -hmm. And Bob Backlund was the champion for a while. But I saw the bit when Bruno retired, the fans just didn't want to see that yet. And Ben Backlund couldn't fill his shoes. I mean, really, nobody could fill his shoes. Nothing against Bob, but Bob looked like a little high school kid next to Bruno. With the, people, with the people the we're used to. So the business was going down. And from everything I learned from the old school guys, because in those days, the, the WWE it was a different. I mean, the WWE is a great company. You get contracts. If you get hurt, they pay for it. If you're rehabbing, you get checks every week. When I started, there was none of that. If you didn't sell a ticket, you didn't eat. You know, I mean, there was no contracts or, or that. And I was watching the business go way down, way down. And I knew if anybody could get Bruno back in the ring for one more comeback, one thing that that guy would be a big star because all the publicity came out of New York. Right. And so, I mean, I I think I drove Bruno nuts. I drove Vince McMahon senior nuts. But I finally got him to go for the idea, and when Bruno came back, I mean, the fans were just so excited. We sold out the Garden three times before Shea, and not to, you know, plus the, the Philadelphia Spectrums, the Boston Gardens, Pittsburgh Civic Arena. I mean, we, I mean, for six months before Shea Stadium, the, the business was huge, and and I didn't realize it, but people back then, I mean, they really hated me. Bruno was the most truly beloved guy that the fans believed in that will probably ever be. Mm -hmm. And they really hated me. I met Mike Tyson once. I went, hey, Mike, my name's Larry. And before I could say anything, he went, God, I hated you when I was a kid. I wanted to kill you. Why did you hit Bruno in the head with that chair? Because he was being raised in Brooklyn, and he was a big fan. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I was, I mean, I walked out of a building, I was shot at, I was stabbed in the ass, there was riots every night, I'd wrestle guys like Putski or Pedro Morales or Strongbow and there'd be riots, and, oh my God, I mean, it was a, it was an adventure, but, I mean, I lived a hell of a life, I really can't complain, and right now I'm just laying low because I don't want to hurt myself, but I had a hell of a life.
1: (laughs) Oh, and, you know, speaking of the Shea Stadium show, you know, you got to think, y'all were the main event, you know, you and Bruno in the cage.
0: Well, that was it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and which to me, I mean, that ended up getting match of the year for Person Illustrated. Um, On the undercard was Andre and Hogan. Yeah. You know, so that says something, I mean, the main event, you and Bruno was bigger than even that match. Well- what was going on, is an interesting story, was it was me and Bruno, and then they
0: had Hogan and Andre again and some other guys. But by this point, Andre already has been wrestling Hogan for months because Andre was so big and Hogan was just starting – That, you know, and and Terry was big. And for a guy 310 pounds, whatever he was, six, 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 seven, he could move good. He had great balance, you know, smart guy. And one time in the garden, you know, he came up to me after four months. He's been there every night with Andre. He said, he asked my advice because he goes, God, I'm so sick of Andre beating the crap out of me every night. (laughs) But they needed a big guy to get in the ring with Andre because everybody else looked like, you know, a, a tiny people, you know. Andre was so big, but uh, yeah, there was the undercard. I, I can't remember the whole thing, but it was yeah, Hulk and Andre, and there might have been the original Samoans against somebody. Pedro uh, again. Yes, I don't remember the whole
1: thing. I, I watched part of that one today too. Was the Samoans against Backlund and Pedro Morales uh, okay. for the the tag titles, and it was okay. two out of three falls match, and Backlund and yeah. Pedro ended up winning the tag titles, but then they had to almost immediately give them up because Backlund was the world champion at the time.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Good. But the, the weird thing was, I mean, it was like over 44,000 people is, you know, we sold out Shea stadium in, in those days. That was rare. Cause there was no cable. You know, they had an hour TV show that like, that showed like at midnight or something. W O R out of New York, you know, but the other thing was, they turned. They must have turned five, six thousand people away, because they oh, wouldn't wow. put they wouldn't put chairs on the infield, mm-hmm. because they didn't want the chairs and the people to you know just screw up the whole infield grass for the baseball games. Right. All right. But uh, yeah, there could have been more. That was days before pay per view and all that. It was really, if you look at history of wrestling. It almost marks the end of the old school era. It ended huge in Chase Stadium. And then right after that, a new era started with the national cable that made territories, you know, go away and pay-per-view, which changed the whole income structure of the company and the business. So it was really kind of a marker of the end of an old school era. I'm, and I'm really proud to be part of it. And, Thank you, Bruno. Because if it wasn't for Bruno, I mean, it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made it.
1: And you ended up leaving. Uh, what was it about a year or two later after? Yeah,
0: about that. I and mean, I was there for, you know, a time after that. And the way things were going, Bruno went back and you know was talking again on the mic. And if I would have stayed there, I would have started losing all my momentum and i want right, you know, right. to i made a name for myself and because of the magazines the nwa the awa other territories japan i mean they all knew me i was a big star so instead of staying in the wwe i left for a while i went to japan a couple times but then they wanted me in the awa then they wanted me in the awa but then Again, with the changing of the eras, right when that happened, unfortunately, Vince McMahon Sr. died. Vince took over, and Vince was the new young promoter on the block. The other one's the Crockett family, and the mother was the one that held the purse strings, and the Gagne family, Vern was already old, and they were all millionaires, and they had their territory set up, and they were all comfortable and didn't even think about this new era starting with, national cable and and the birth of pay-per-view and they didn't see the end of the territories coming right away but vince did and what he did was (coughs) vince took all the top talent he could get from the nwa you know he took piper and macho and steamboat and probably other guys i can't remember then from the awa he had you know uh Bobby Heen and Jesse the Body Ventura, someone else, you know, Mean Gene. He took all the top people from the other two territories and hired them and put them under contracts. And then that freaked out the AWA and the NWA, which were now trying to compete because they see a new era, but they kind of missed the boat a bit. Vince had all the big stars, you know, Hogan and everybody else. So th- it kind of left me a break because I always needed somebody. So I'd be in the NWA a while, then I'd be in the AWA a while. Then I'd be back in the NWA with Dusty and maybe, <laughs> Then I'd be back in the AWA with Buck, Winkle. I wound up with the belt or something. And I'd go to Japan. So it worked out good for me in a way. I wish I would have been with the WWE more because that's the business that's still showing stuff, you know, from the old days. Perfect but the, it's a great company, and they're still trading treating me great and i uh i heard i mean like some company bought the w w e right to
1: uh, um uh, endeavor yeah they the combine they combine the WWE and u f c and now they're and, yeah their stock symbol actually changed from w w e to t k o easy to remember
0: yeah yeah and they bought but now they own all the w w w f stuff the w c w stuff the a w a stuff and and they like to make shows, you know, for Peacock and other stations they're with, because they got like you know the dark side of wrestling, and I never really had a dark side, but they got you know shows on people's careers, and they kind of went through everybody. I mean, they went through the Hulk, and they went through Flair, and they went through Austin, and they went. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, well, gee, maybe pretty soon. They they can go back to the me and Bruno thing with a documentary or a me and Bachwinkle thing from here, or a me and Dusty thing from there. Who knows? So I'm getting excited because there's two things coming up. One is a movie that's driving me nuts. I made a movie. I was in this whole movie. Me, Tonga, Ernie the Cat Miller, Glacier, Luther Biggs, a few real actors, and, and we made a movie, or Ray did, Glacier made a movie called The Unbreakable Bunch, and it was supposed to come out Friday a couple of days ago, Friday the thirteenth. But then they decided to put it off because of politics with the actors' strike and the writers' strike or something, mm. and they didn't want to start competing with the holiday blockbusters for the you know Christmas season, Thanksgiving, right. Christmas season. But the plot I mean, you're getting to the point where Hollywood's producing, you know, Chucky twenty, Batman thirty, Superman fifteen, you know. I mean, they're running out <laughs> of stuff. But this movie called the Unbreakable Bunch is it's, it's kinda of come out in January now. Oh. And which is a which is a good time because everybody saw the hol- you know, the the holiday movie gimmicks. But now in January, it's still cold all over the country, mostly.
1: So mm-hmm. people you know,
0: won't go outside and do stuff. It's still too cold, but they'll go into it, see a movie. And, and I don't know if it's going to be in the movies or if it's going to be on Roku or Peacock or Netflix. I don't understand this whole streaming thing. But I was getting all excited because it was going to start Friday, but now it's going to come out in January. It's called The Unbreakable Bunch. You can look it up. But it was done very well. Family-friendly movies. not about wrestling. It's a it's a science kind of science fiction action adventure film where wrestlers save a town from aliens, and it
1: was done really
0: well. Good. Uh, I can't wait to see the damn thing.
1: Yeah, I, um, I'm definitely going to go check that out whenever it finally does oh, yeah, come out.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can Google it, and then, you know, but yeah, now January, and then there's a TV show I might that might start in October and I don't know what they're going to call it but I filmed it like god give me close to a year ago with some guy where somebody got like 3300 hours of old wrestling footage from the 1950s and early 60s from like you know that the WWE doesn't own no one owns it they mm-hmm. got some from Jared and some from maybe Texas and some But you got, like, the original gorgeous George and young Luthens and young Buddy Rogers. Oh, wow. And they left the the original commentating on the show, you know, over the matches. So what me and this guy did was we just hosted it and said, hey, welcome to Legends of Wrestling, blah, 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 tonight. And then at the end, we do one. Wasn't that great? Oh, my God. Don't miss next week. We got the original gorgeous George. So I think that I think it's something the fans will really love cuz you watch stuff in the 1950s and stuff it's so different but uh, it's supposed to start in October I hope but it was supposed to start a couple of months ago so all these things that are supposed to happen <laughs> that are done that don't happen are driving me nuts <laughs> 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 I'm supposed to be a movie TV star again any minute now. (laughs) Um,
1: And so when you went to the AWA, now, correct me if I'm wrong, are they the first company who actually had action figures of the wrestlers? You know what? It's an interesting thing. I can tell you an interesting story about that. Uh, I was in the
0: NWA in the 84, 85 when merchandise started. Before that, there wasn't any merchandise. And I, shit, I made a record called Boo On Me in 1980. If I was smart, I would have used it, you know, as entrance music. But back then, there was no, there was none. Right. So anyway, but Boo On Me was, is, is going to be in the movie when I say Boo On Me anyway. But, <laughs> so what happened was in 1985 was the first action figure, like I was in the AWA. Mm-hmm. And, and here's an interesting story. Because at that time, Vince was already in the lead, you know, with the nationwide cable and running pay per views in Chicago and Charlotte and everybody <clears> else's <throat> past, past territory. So the Ganyas and the Crockett's were working together trying to compete against the WWE. They were running the Meadowlands together and some other towns, you know, together. And in 1985, these, I get the first action figures, AWA action figures, but they came two in a pack. there would be, you know, like Greg Gagnon, Jim Brunzel, or. Oh, the High Flyers. Yeah, High Flyers yeah. or somebody. And in my pack, it was interesting. And here's the weird part. My pack, it was me and Ric Flair. And I've signed some those are classics and but but Rick flair wasn't in the a w a he was in the n w a and what was supposed to be happening was when these dolls came out in eighty five the n w a and the a w a were supposed to be having a big feud to you know try to compete with vince right and it it was going to be some kind of an invasion thing. And they wanted me, I made some interviews, you know, knocking Flair, saying, come on, Flair, you coward. I retired Bruno. I'm the living legend, and I'll retire the man. And Flair was supposed to come back to me on TBS and, you know, rip me a new one. And, and one of the shows, one of the, you know, AWA or NWA was going to interfere and all that. And it, But it didn't happen. At the last minute, the Crockett's and Ganyas couldn't work it out. And the mother of the Crocketts who ran the purse strings said, that's it. So she sold out to Turner. And that's why me and Ric Flair were in the same packet, because we were supposed to be wrestling each other when they came out. That didn't happen. So then they came out with another one called the collector's edition with me and Bachwinkle in it. Okay. Okay. But the interesting thing was it was the same idea, the same invasion idea of one group, invading another group that happened 10 years later and it was called the new world order yep say, all that it, kind of
1: sounds familiar what do you think Jwayne? it was the yep. same mm-hmm. idea yeah yeah uh speaking of wrestling figures and because we actually do have a sponsor this week and Our sponsor is the House of Plastic. Plastic is actually spelled P L A S T I K instead of C. They have vintage toys and collectibles. If you're ever in the Cincinnati area, head over to 834 Ohio Pike, Suite 310. That's in Cincinnati. You can also email them at House of Plastic, like I said, spelled with a K on the end at Yahoo.com, and you can also find them on Facebook. The owner told me yesterday, if you come in and mention that you heard the advertisement on this show, he will give you 10% off on wrestling figures. And believe me, he has a lot. I can point to at least five right behind me that <laughs> I bought there at his shop. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, uh, But I want to thank them so much for actually sponsoring us this, this week. because I, tell you, I said, hey, the living legend Larry Zabesco is going to be on the show this week. And he said, where do I sign up? So
0: God so, bless. Him.
1: Yes, sir. So um and Joel, I know you want you had some questions about his run, about Larry's run in the AWA.
2: Uh I did. How was it when you how was it when you first won the AWA world title?
1: Well, you know what? I'm
0: I'm trying to go back years and remember some things that happened and it was kind of a weird situation because I, I was in the a, NWA at the time. I got a call. They wanted me to go back to the AWA and I was supposed to wrestle Jerry Lawler. At that time, Jerry Lawler had the belt. Right. And then I said, "Oh, okay, yeah, I'd, I'd love to you know, work with Lawler. Never worked with him. Would have been great. So, But, but by the time I got there... Something happened where Jerry and Vern got in an argument, probably about a payday. Because back in them days, you had to butt heads sometimes. Mm-hmm. So when I got there, Jerry wasn't there. He got mad. He left and took the belt with him. And then Vern had to threaten to sue him for the belt. Then Jerry sent the belt back, but it was kind of dented up. So Vern made a new belt, the one that I had. Which, if you look at it, it the new one was a replica of the very first belt ever made in the 1800s and it's shaped like a police badge because the first belt ever made was made by the Boston Police Gazette and that's why it was oh, shaped wow. like a badge and for Frank Muldoon exactly. who wound up winning
1: it but yeah so I,
0: I never got to work with Lawler but I remember, I think I won it in a Battle Royal, maybe, or something. Because I I
1: watched it about an hour ago.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you can find it. Um, um, You
0: know what? It was a thrill because I had it. And at that time, we pulled off another classic that not too many people talk about because it happened in Japan. And this was an interesting night because... Like Sunday night or Saturday night was the big Mike Tyson versus Buster Douglas fight Mm -hmm. in in Tokyo. The day before was a wrestling show like Baba's group versus Anoki's group. And I was the AWA champion and I wrestled Masa Saito for the championship. And we sold out to Tokyo Dome. It was like 65,000 people or whatever the hell it held. I mean, it was amazing. We 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 outdrew the Mike Tyson Buster Douglas fight. Who <laughs> everybody thought Mike Tyson would beat him up anyway. Right. Right. But I got a I got a weird story about that, but I can't tell you.
1: But <laughs> you, you have to tell us once, where you know we're no longer recording. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, but that was weird. Uh oh, you see me?
1: Yep. Yes, we still see you.
0: What in the hell? Oh, yeah, we,
1: we see you. Yeah, well, we I still see you. I
0: can't see you. I push. I, I accidentally touched something, and all it says now on my screen is Zoom, but no picture.
1: Um, I'm wondering, you may have something out at the bottom of your screen. You know what? <coughs> all right, we're back. We had a technical difficulty there for a second, but we are back. So, as you were saying, uh, Mr. Zabesco, sir.
0: I'm a technical difficulty.
2: <laughs> um, so, so you're wrestling. You defended against
0: Saito. Yeah, we wrestled. Me and Saito had a hell of a match in Tokyo, Japan, and sold out the to Tokyo Dome. And then we had a rematch, and he beat me for the belt. Then we had a rematch in Minneapolis shortly after that, and I won the belt back from him. But that was a wild time. I mean, I was in Japan a few times. It was an interesting country. I had a great time and love playing pachinko. It was like gambling with these little balls. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, yeah, I love pachinko. Yeah, I was actually stationed in Japan twice, um far north, I mean up in Misawa uh airbase. You know, so yeah the pachinko parlors, we they were actually off limits for us unfortunately. Oh, too bad. <laughs> they weren't for me. <laughs> uh but one thing, if anybody's in Japan, if you can please send me some Georgia coffee. Absolutely love it. Miss it. <laughs> anyway, um sorry Dwayne, I didn't mean to hijack your your no, question. No no you're good. You're good. <laughs> um I had actually totally forgot that that Masayuto was AWA World Champion.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and he was a tough guy, I mean, when I mean, he was in the Olympics and I think he was half like half Korean half Japanese. I think he was
1: like, "Oh okay, I didn't know that."
0: And it was weird because when you were there, I mean, the Japanese women the Japanese men don't have hair on their chest. They're not as hairy as other True. people. And when I would walk from the dressing room to the ring, the women would come to the you know the barrier and they would stick their arm across and rub your chest. <laughs> and I'm going, what the hell's going on here? You're getting <laughs> chest rubs from all these women because they wanted to see put what, what, on his you know hair on his chest. It always struck me funny.
1: <laughs> um so one of the things that i've noticed was when i was looking through you know your wikipedia article by the way you know you've made it when you have an, your own article on wikipedia i do you do <laughs> I,
0: I i believe you i just yeah
1: oh yeah you absolutely do but i mean and it seems like everywhere you went you won some gold um yeah i mean i was good yeah. So, yes. Yes, you were. <laughs> yes. And you know
0: what? There, there was a secret. I mean, it's kind of a lost art now. I mean, but wrestling was the original unreality show. It was, you know, and, and it, it stars good and evil. Basically, it's a good and evil, but it's disguised as this massive, awesome sporting event where there's a good guy and a bad guy. And yes, we've got people, you know, emotionally involved and why the bad guys were usually bigger than the good guys because you get that natural root for the underdog mm-hmm. thing. But what I stole from the old timers that broke me in, from Bruno to Chief Strongbow and Scullin and Panini and Gorilla Monsoon and others, where you want the people to believe in your character. They believed Bruno could walk through a wall, you know. But I had him, I had him believing that no matter what anybody thought of wrestling, people believed I was a real asshole in <laughs> real life. They believed I was an a-hole. And when I walked out, you know, people call it stalling now, but I could stand there for sometimes five minutes, sometimes ten minutes and I wouldn't just stand there. I'd go out and yell at the ref or I'd jump back, but they, the crowd would chant, Larry sucks for 10, 15 minutes. I didn't have to do anything because if I would have tied up, they would have all been quiet. So they all went berserk, but they really, everybody believed that in real life. I was an a-hole and that was kind of the <laughs> secret of my right. wrestle <laughs> <wrestled> them.
1: <laughs> and I know I can see that kind of influence, like the stalling. Well, even back then, Tully Blanchard, he used to do it. Now Roman mm-hmm. Reigns does it mm-hmm. sometimes. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Well, I know I'm missing some. <clears throat> uh,
2: uh, Roman's the first one that comes to mind. It's Yeah, he he does it pretty well. You can tell he got the, that influence.
1: And, you know, so some of the, the different championships that you've won, of course, we mentioned the AWA world title. You were actually the last person to hold the AWA world oh, title. Yeah. Um, the AWA America's championship, you were the first one to hold that. Oh, good. Um, I about Yep. Yeah. And then Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> you know, Sergeant Slaughter got it from you. He was the last one. So it was only two. But, I mean, either way, um, you know, we'll see the world, the, the WCW World Television Championship, um, which, by the way, I just want to uh, let you know. Next week, we are scheduled to have the current NWA World Television Champion. I uh, mean, he's actually a friend of mine in Joyland's, um, mm-hmm. and his name is Matthew Big Strong-Mims. You talk about just jacked. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. And,
1: yeah, he oh, just good. he just became the champion, and so I've already talked to him. Uh, we were supposed to have him on this Friday, but then I had a conflict, and so we had to reschedule to uh, next week. But you get a chance to check that out. So, I mean, kind of uh, makes us feel good that we're having – a former world television champion. And then we're going to have the current world television champion, you know, so we're kind of fun. There's a a lot of lineage in between there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, Korea had the The championship championship. I had a national heavyweight championship, something to do with me and Orndorff and some crazy
1: guy. What the hell was his name? Oh, killer Tim Brooks. Yeah. Killer Brooks. He was insane. (laughs) Because that was actually something else. Another thing, Dwayne, you can see an influence. Uh, the living legend paid killer Tim Brooks $25,000 25 for the title. And then they yeah. came and said, Oh yeah. no, you can't do that. But then he won the tournament anyway. Wow. Right. That was in 83, 84. I wonder what happened a few years after that with, you know, mm. Larry was first. I mean, unless yes, you tell Larry. me it was somebody before you, but as far as I'm concerned, you were the first one to yeah, do it.
0: Plus the Western States championship though. They still had that one too. Cause
1: that was a weird story,
0: how that ended.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, because, Dwayne, I know you said you had a question about that as well, right?
2: Yeah, I was like, wh- I know you and Barry Wyndham traded it back and forth. And did you ever, I mean, did you, was it just Barry that you defended it against? Or did you defend it against other people? Or were you ju- you two just in a feud? Well, here's, over the,
0: here's the weird part. I probably would have wound up doing a you know a program with Dusty out of it because when mm-hmm. I had the Western States champ they had Baby Dow be my valet. Right. And Baby Dow just married Sam Houston, just got married to Sam Houston. And she was playing my valet and we'd walk out and do interviews and the Crockets wanted her to interrupt a Dusty Rhodes interview to build up me and Dusty because she had this you know 8 by 10 envelope with I remember pictures that.
1: she I, was right. in
0: blackmail yeah. and people talked about that for years and what happened was she was supposed to go out and you know tell him about the blackmail and she'll expose him and get him out of business if you don't blah 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 something with me and then she was supposed to grab Dusty and give him a big kiss not a romantic kiss it was going to become the kiss of death Right, in right. the storyline. But she didn't kiss him because Sam Houston found out that she was supposed to kiss him and did a big freak out, jealous thing in the back. Uh, so wow. baby doll went out, did the thing, didn't kiss him, walked out. The crockett got mad, fired her. And that's how that all just ended. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and people wow. talked about it for years. What was in the envelopes?
1: I I am kind of still wondering. I'm, I'm wondering though. You know, maybe it was. You know, what was in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction was the same thing. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I
0: I don't know, but anyway, baby. Anyway, that's that was that. Oh, you're fired. Done. (laughs) Next. (laughs) And so just,
1: you know, yeah, just kind of just killed the storyline because I remember when she came out with that envelope. Yeah, and he looked in it, closed it, and he walked off. And I'm like, what's what's going to happen? And then nothing happened.
0: Nothing, yeah. 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 You, you know, got
1: divorced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, yeah. you know, I met you a few weeks ago up in Chillicothe at, at the fan fest that Bobby Fulton was putting on. Uh, about a year ago, I actually met Baby Doll and and Sam Houston. They were both there at the same time, and Jake oh, yeah. Roberts was there. Okay, yeah. You know, the and, brothers. Yep. And where Baby Doll and Jake Roberts were almost like right beside each other. Um, in the one corner, Sam Houston was all the way at the other side. The other side. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Uh, Keep away uh, from him. Maybe I might want to kill him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, I bet they're amicable to each other. I mean, because they do have kids together. But at the same time, I mean. Yeah. You know. Yeah, the, um, the, the wrestling business was so tough to be married in. And I was
0: told, Young, don't get married because you're never home. You're in a different city every night. And then when I'm going to Japan for a month, see in five weeks. No, and I got to fly here. I mean, it was really a tough business to be married in when you were young. And I tried it once. I think the first one lasted a year, but it was a sweet ending. And, you know, everything was nice. But, yeah, it was a tough business to be married
1: in. But you married into a different wrestling family, didn't you?
0: Well, later on, yeah, down the road, I married one of Vern Gagne's daughters. And it was funny because we were going out, me and Kathy, but we were keeping it a secret
1: ah, okay. because we
0: didn't want anybody to say stuff or, didn't, you know, we didn't want anybody in the business or go, oh, Larry's just getting a big push here because he's dating right. Kathy on you. Or, you know, some nonsense. So we kept it a secret. And I've been to three live concerts my whole life. One time we went to see Eric Clapton. Was he the one that went da-da-da-da? Okay. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I went to see him with a few mafia guys in New Jersey in like 1980 ish or so. And then me and Kathy went to two concerts in Minnesota. One was the Moody Blues and one was Bob Seeger, the only three concerts I've ever been at. And the last concert we went to, the one with Bob Seeger maybe, at the end of the concert, we turned around and left. And who was sitting right behind us? Was her brother Greg <laughs> and his one. So, so we got Whoops. busted, right? <laughs> the, the next day I get a call. Vern would like to see you in the office. Oh, oh my God. Vern <laughs> wants to see me in the office. So I I I got this plan. So I go in and I see the secretary and she says, Oh yeah, Vern's waiting for you. So I opened the door and Vern's sitting at the desk and I opened the door and I woke up and I go, Dad. <laughs> and, and I caught him off guard. <laughs> but uh, but it worked out good. And Kathy's a hell of a woman, great woman, great mother. And she was in the raising the business, so we had something in common and and it worked and out actually under, good. She, yeah, and she what?
2: understood the travel. So
0: Yeah, well she understood the travel kind of lucked out because we got married in 88, but by, you know, maybe by, God, less than early 2000, 2001, I started doing the broadcasting, which meant I only worked a day and a half a week. Right. So, you know, and then even with Nitro, I'd fly out one day from Monday on and then fly back and do a syndicated. So I was on the golf course most of the time, but I was home a lot. So we really had a chance mm-hmm. to be together where – in the normal wrestling, if I was a wrestler, I'd be gone. Right, right. You know, so I was. you know, we were together too much. Now she's sick of me. But anyway, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that just that just not occurred to me because your time in the AWA, you were healed. Oh
2: yeah,
1: oh yeah. And then Vern, of course, for this time, I mean, he was like the ultimate face because he's the owner of the company, and um, and of course, Greg. You know, I know you had some battles against him in the ring, but. Would y'all, like, would you have actually gotten in trouble back then, because kayfabe was still uh, very real, if the public had known that the woman you were there with was Vern Gagne's daughter?
0: You know what, I I don't think so. But like you said, back then it was a different world. There there really wasn't much to think about, because there was no social media, you know, there was no internet, no one knew. 99.9% 99.9% of what was going on, unless you got busted. Right. You right. know, or something. But mm-hmm. so there was something really not even really thought about about the public. Which we just didn't want Vernon the boys to know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, It almost sounds like we've actually heard the story when Bobby Eaton, you know, of course, you know, the late Bobby Eaton, when he was dating uh, Bill Dundee's daughter, at first they were doing it in secret because,
0: oh, yeah.
1: You know, Bill I Dundee never did- knew that, yeah. Yeah, he said Bill Indeed did not want his daughter dating any wrestlers. But then he found out well, it, it, it was Bobby. He's like, all right, because I guess Bobby Eaton, you know, was like the nicest person in the history of ever. Uh,
0: Bobby <laughs> was a sweet guy, really a sweet guy, nice guy.
1: Um, And then you accidentally, you know, like almost broke his shoulder in the. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, I didn't mean
0: to. Right. <laughs> it
1: was the war games, right? From, from, yeah. Yeah.
0: God, you guys remember more than I do, my
1: God. Oh, like I said, I mean, Dwaylon is the walking, talking encyclopedia of wrestling. I mean, I can spell out some stuff, but I'm nothing compared to Dwaylon. <laughs> Dwaylon's <laughs> got it down. Man. He's got it down. Um, But that, actually, when that happened, though, you ended up turning face, and that was the first time you had been a face, I'm assuming, since 1980. I'm trying to think. I mean, really, the only, when when I started becoming a good
0: guy was actually when I started the broadcasting because me and Arn were the enforcers I and- love
2: that tag team by the way
0: yeah you know what I, I was- everybody did I mean me and Arn clicked together Arn was great in the ring great to travel with and people bought him because he had that look but the enforcers when we walked out we got reactions like we were back in the 70s you know whoa <laughs> And it was great. And then Bill Watts came in and screwed things up, but they made the group the Dangerous Alliance. And I didn't want to be part of a group. And I was like maybe 42 now, had another knee surgery. And I I told the TBS guys, oh, my knee hurts. So I got another knee scope with the cartilage. But I didn't want to be part of a group. And they had great guys. You know, Eaton was in the group. Root was in the group. Stone Cold was in the group before he was Stone Cold. You know, Stunning Steve. But, you know, I, I was a heel for 20 years and I, I I didn't want to lose my singular identity and be part of a group, which was rare in those days. No don't even had groups, really. Right. But but so I did the knee thing and I was sitting at home rehabbing the knee and I got a call from a producer that said, hey, Larry, Jesse, the body just quit. Can you come down and do a voiceover over a couple of pre-tape? syndicated shows for syndicated markets. And I went, yeah, okay. I mean, they were still sending me checks. This was the time Ted Turner was giving away money like candy. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll come down. So I went down, and I I can't remember if it was Jim Ross or Tony Schiavone I did it with. It could have been Gordon But I did a couple shows they had recorded. And after a couple of shows, the door busted open and this producer runs in and goes, Larry, you're the greatest guy we ever heard commentate. Do you want to be a commentator? We'll give you this much a year. And I go, I almost fell off the chair. That's more money than I made in wrestling. What do you?" Know? And, you know, and I wouldn't get hurt. And I was already getting today. To I me, mean, you know, wrestling's not a great career for someone over too much over 40 you know I mean it's it's brutal <laughs> it's physically <laughs> brutal <laughs> you know you can do it and I still did so I did some with Lord Regal because he was great and some stuff but, but you know it, it, it's like a football player you know got 65 year old football players running down the field grabbing picks, right you know? but uh, so I, I, I but that's how the broadcasting gig started I went yeah sure I'll do that damn I, I, I was only working a day a week or so. And then Nitro, you know, fly out. So I kind of turned 10-year gravy run of of the broadcasting. was like a gift. So thank you, Biz. (laughs) And it gave me a couple of new generations of audiences, you know, younger audiences that got to know me because other guys my age, 40, 45, 50, were already starting to go away or get beat up or Mm -hmm. dead, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, that you always got huge ovations on Nitro whenever oh, you'd yeah.
1: know,
2: whenever you come out to the broadcast booth. I mean, the fans always went nuts.
1: Yeah, they did.
0: Now they, well, with that, that that we were talking about, you know, being the heel, good guy. But when I started doing the broadcasting, I had to change my persona.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. people, when I was wrestling, they believed I was an a-hole and they hated me and I did things to make them hate me. But then I changed my persona and <laughs> did things. Because my my job wasn't to get me over anymore. My job was to get the guys in the ring over. Yeah. So I I couldn't be a, a butthole and say, "Oh, this guy is a lucky goof. He sucks." And I had to put. I had to make him sound great. So you. Know, so my whole persona kind of changed when I started the broadcasting, and then as I got older, the living legend made more sense and stuck with me because now I was an older legend guy. And, and all that and it worked out great. I really had a blessed life and a blessed career and thank God. Everything worked out good. I got four boys, five grandkids, none of the boys need money, thank God. They're <laughs> all <laughs> <No, I'm> working and <laughs> no, doing good.
1: Uh, some of the accolades, because we even t- really touched on like the awards. Uh Rookie of the Year, nineteen seventy-four. This is all from Pro and Illustrated. Um Match of the year in nineteen eighty, uh, the most hated wrestle of the year in nineteen eighty. Which, by the way, do you get a plaque for that? Because like, no, oh, I got yeah. a
0: knife in the ass. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's what I got out of it. <laughs> uh, also, uh, you were part of the tag team of the year in nineteen ninety one with the Enforcer Arn Anderson. Um, for the PWI the top five hundred, you were number thirty eight in nineteen ninety one. You're number one hundred five in two thousand three. And of course, when we say they said the, the the top 500, that's the top 500 out of what 10,000, 20,000 wrestlers I in the world. I, I, that's, I mean, yeah, and that's an amazing to make anything in the top 500 to me is, um, oh yeah, it's a huge accomplishment, and to be as high as what you got, I mean, that's uh, that's amazing. Well, thank <laughs> God. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so, I didn't know. I don't read those things. But...
1: Um, yeah, and. You know, so I mean, and after WCW, I mean, I I wasn't able to keep a lot up track with a lot of your career, but uh, Dwayne, I know you you knew more about it than I did because I mean, I knew you were in TNA at, at one point.
2: Yeah, yeah, you were. Um, you were the on screen authority figure for a while. Yeah, uh, I did the
0: commissioner thing. You know, cause I came yeah. to Florida after WCW ended, and I was I just I turned like fifty one. I, I was golfing my butt off, and I was good. I mean, I was a scratch golfer, and so I wanted to try professional golf. I, I moved to Florida here, Orlando, to play mm-hmm. on the professional mini-tours, not the PGA like with Lee Trevino and Jack Nicholas and them, but they have the professional mini-tours. So I tried that, and damn it, I was just three strokes not good enough. I mean, the best game I ever turned in was a 67 out there. That's my best game. Par 72, and I'd be 70, 71, 72, 69, 73. I mean, but I was like three strokes not good enough to win money, so I did that Mm. for a a year, but it became like a job, because you had to drive somewhere, you know, to a Mm -hmm. course, and then you had to get up at 6.30 and get cleaned up, wake up, get something to eat for 7.45 T off time, and the wind's blowing, and you hit one bad shot, you might as well go home. Cause the guys you're playing against weren't a big star like, you know, Arnold Palmer, but they were on the European Order of Merit. And the 30 years I was wrestling, they were golfing. Mm. So
2: if
0: they turned into 67, they're mad. You know, I'm jumping up and down for joy. Yeah. You
2: know?
0: <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but that was interesting. And then TNA was right, you came to was right in Orlando. So I, I, it was close to where I live, like 10 minutes away. So I'd go over there and do a couple of skits, you know, their their television shooting. And after that, I'd go hit all the rides. I rode all the rides at Universal for years. I loved them.
1: Oh, that means I I was doing the wrong job for a long time. You know, when I did the Air Force for 20 years, I should have been something else. Because, I mean, I'd I'd moved to Orlando in a heartbeat, to be honest with you. My daughter, you know, she spent nine months down there working with the Disney College program, but she's like, I like Ohio better. I'm like, no, (laughs) I want to be somewhere warm.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, the warmth is good, no snow, but at my age now, I got family all over the place. But when people come into town to visit, there's always something to do. You got Universal, you got Disney, you got SeaWorld, you got this, you got dinner shows, International Boulevard. I mean, the beach is 25 minutes down the road. I mean, it's really a lot to do here.
1: Yeah, yeah, the world's largest McDonald's, and they actually, yeah. it's not a, yeah, Joel, if you ever get a chance to go to that McDonald's, it's not a normal McDonald's. They they have like a pasta menu, but they'll, oh, I wow. mean, it feels like you're in a sit-down restaurant. I mean, it's actually, and it's right across the street from one of Hulk Hogan's shops. I just not remember <laughs> that. <laughs> um, I had some more questions, but they kind of. All of a sudden ran out of my, yeah. my head. Senior uh, moment? Just about. I mean, Dwayne and I both turned 50 <laughs> in the past, you know, few months. Um, I turned 50 in August. He turned 50 in July. You okay. know, so we're starting to hit the, those moments where we're going to start hi- hiding our own Easter eggs. All
0: right. Now, you guys, I'm going to hit 72 in a couple months. I'm freaking out. Um, I
1: actually did see your birthday. You were born a, one year and two days after my mom. Oh, yeah. I was
0: born, yeah, 1951, December.
1: Yep. Um. But well, did you have any any other questions? Because I mean, I I'm trying to remember. <laughs> going yeah. to my notes uh, right no,
2: <laughs> I had a I had a couple, but I, I can't think of them now. I know I'll think of them later after we stop recording. But uh, yeah, that's no, how I it can.
0: works.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, you know what? I know what I had wrote down in my bullet notes. Netflix just um, well, it's on Netflix right now. A documentary called Wrestlers. Have you had a chance to see that yet? No, I. You know what? I
0: got. I don't know how to work this TV set. I got some channels. Sometimes I want to watch something, they'll say, upgrade. I don't know how to upgrade. Oh, uh, So I don't yeah. think I can get things. Like I got a different TV or some kind of weird thing or something.
1: Uh yeah, that one's I mean it was, it was a it's a documentary they filmed for a few months down in Louisville. Um with ovw and al snow and people who actually bought um ohio valley wrestling and i it's actually you know pretty good and then there was another show called heels which is on stars but that one just finished the second season but it's it's not a documentary it's an actual like tv show um, yeah. you know about a a fictitious company in georgia but that one they said they canceled to the second season i'm like you left it on a pretty huge cliffhanger yeah, um,
2: they, canceled, they, they did say they were shopping it around, though, trying to find another network. It, to,
1: it's too good of a show not uh, to be on, Yeah, um, I think. But I had something else, but I just want to point out, just talking to, to Larry Dwayland, Um, the man has many, many, he wears many hats because obviously, you know, the living legend, he's a, one of the most revered professional wrestlers in the world. Yep. But Hall of, Famer. Well, Hall of Famer, WWE Hall of Famer, you know, uh, you're the first Hall of Famer we've had on the show. You're the first world champion we've had on the mm-hmm. show. Um, well, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate awesome. it. But you're also an actor because we we're talking about your movie that will be coming. It's supposed to be coming out last Friday, but no, they're delayed it. Yeah, in January, The Unbreakable Bunch. The Unbreakable, the Unbreakable. Bunch. And... But if Tonga wants to rename it, it'll probably get renamed. Because, yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Nobody argues with Tonga.
1: Nobody <laughs> argues with Tonga. Um, yeah. But we were talking before the show, you're also a private pilot. Didn't know that until... Oh, cool. Yet. Oh, yeah. I I flew, I flew around
0: the country for 20 years in you know, different places. I just ran a plane, and fly town to town. I flew over the tour to the Statue of Liberty, through the Grand Canyon, over the coast. Of, I mean, it was... I, I really had a unique life. I
1: can't complain. i really, yeah.
0: and the health is great. So that's awesome.
1: Oh, I'm and a, and doing a, anything to hurt myself and a scratch golfer.
0: <laughs> well, I was, you know, I well,
1: a... I mean, I was born in Pinehurst and I'm not even a scratch golfer. I mean, of course yeah. I didn't play golf all that often, but yeah. But... Um, and let's see what, what other titles? Well, of course I know for me and I know Dwayne is the same way. Uh, the, the most important titles for us would also be husband and father, yeah. and of course, in your case, also grandfather.
0: Grandfather, I just saw I got a new three and a half month old grandson. Lives right down the road, twenty minutes. I was babysitting him yesterday,
2: <laughs> so <laughs> mom and
0: dad could go out for dinner and a movie. Right, they've been working their butts off. Their maternity leaves over. They both work <clears throat> Universal, so I was oh. hanging out with my my, my, my latest grandson. Three and a half months old. And I got another granddaughter that's going to be two years old this week to 19. She lives in Maryland. And would you say you were in the Air Force, Steve?
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. For 20 years.
0: My my one son's in the Air Force. He's the one with my three-year-old granddaughter, or two-year-old granddaughter. And
1: uh, gets restationed in the Air Force. Uh, I think you told me the other day he's um, in Maryland, like Andrews, isn't he? Air Force Two. Air Force Two. Yeah, he's stationed
0: wow. on Air Force Two. He was flying around with Pence. Now he's been flying around with Harrison generals and whatever else gets on Air Force Two.
1: So he's an actual pilot then? Well, he doesn't fly
0: the planes. He's in the communication Okay. with the secret texting messaging. I mean, right. I never talked to him on the phone about anything because his clearance is so high.
1: Right. Everybody's right. spying right. on him,
0: so I never talk <laughs> about anything he does.
1: Um, I was stationed in Maryland for just under three years. When I was in, I actually worked at the National Security Agency because of yeah. my job that I did, I did intel. Um, oh, good. So, oh, yes. Oh, so I, I get it. Definitely yeah. get it about the clearance. And another good friend of mine in uh who we graduated uh, high school with, he mm-hmm. actually, um, he was supposed to actually go do the same job that your son was doing at one point. Then, and and then the the assignment ended up falling through. You know, okay. so um, yeah, it, but- yeah, yeah, I did twenty years. Twenty years, one month, nineteen days, and I retired uh in May ten years ago.
0: Yeah, no, he's he's doing great, and I'm proud of all my boys. All grandkids are healthy and great. So I can't I can't complain. I'm knocking on wood as we speak.
1: So, as far as like fan fests, um, like, do you have any future appearances already on the books where people can see you? You know what? I don't have anything planned right now, and I kind of slowed down
0: a bit. Just waiting for all this COVID stuff with the airlines and the airports to, you know, finally clear up. And flying through the holidays, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, forget it. I'm not yeah. flying anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I want things to get back to normal. It's a the about flying around. It took me an hour to park. Then I had to go 45 minutes through TSA. Then I get, finally I get to the gate. I sit there they go, oh, now it's delayed an hour. Oh, great. I haven't had a cigarette in now five hours. So I'm sitting here. You know, but it just, it's kind of a pain in the butt. To have been So I'm not going anywhere till next year. I'm waiting for my movie to come out, damn it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the name of the movie... Is the unbreakable bunch? Everybody remember the unbreakable
0: that unbreakable bunch. Yeah, they got some trailers up now. Supposed to start, but I think January would be a good time. I think the, the blockbuster stuff's over. It's still cold. Go we'll and watch a movie or Netflix. But there's somebody I don't know where it's going to be. On, but when I know, you'll know. Everybody's going to know.
1: I'll blab. <laughs> and, I, and once we once we hear when it is, whether you've told us directly or not, we will make sure the word gets out. Oh, oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. please, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, poor Ray was working on it. It took him 10 years. I mean, they wrote it, him and Luther, and then they tried to find financers. They finally found a guy that put up the money, over a million-dollar budget, but very well done. And his name was Shay, which cracked me up because it was like Shay Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of, you know, but uh, great guy, but it was really a well-done movie. I can't wait to see the thing.
1: Uh dwaylan, do you have anything else? um no, not at the moment um You'll think it about
0: know. it yeah oh yeah, yeah absolutely
2: <laughs> but it, it has been an honor to talk to you I've well, watched you know I watched your career growing up, and it's just amazing for me to get to talk to you
0: uh well, thank you dwaylan and I mean, you know the wrestling you know, over the last, from when I started, it was the fans and the wrestlers and then but it kind of changed and evolved now you got a different scenario different era but it's like the wrestlers who love to entertain and break their necks but the fans it's, it's almost like one big family now mm-hmm. it's just one big family that loves professional wrestling it's really great but thank you very much Dwayne for
1: being a fan uh, and you know maybe sometime in the future we can definitely have you back on because yeah. this has been absolutely fun thank you so much for coming on and for all the fans uh out there you know especially because we had when we announced that we were having a show we had so many people hit us up mm-hmm. what, yeah. what are you doing what are you doing yeah. what are you doing what can i listen what can i watch it and you know so a lot of people are, are absolutely looking forward to this because i mean and it's an absolute honor and pleasure on our end because it's not very often you get to meet a, a living legend you know well thank you
0: very much guys trying to be I humble to... but it's hard <clears throat>
2: <laughs> yeah, as soon as I found out, I texted my brother. I'm like, we're going to be interviewing Larry Zabisco.
1: <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> you know, we're we're going to be interviewing somebody who, like I said, has his own Wikipedia article. He has his own article on IMDb, which, by the way, we're also on IMDb. We're kind of a big deal, <laughs> I guess. Um, but but you're also, Damn. you have your own wrestling figures and you've been on video games. I mean, and so, like you said, yeah. you've had a very, very blessed life. It's the kind of life that people look at and go, man, that's something I wish I could actually Imagine yeah, was,
0: I'm, so I'm not done yet, but I've been lucky and a blessed life. I've lived a great life so far.
1: If I had a million
0: dollars, it'd be better. But right there, now. you go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, sir, do you have any last messages for all the fans out there listening or watching?
0: No, but to all the fans, thank you very much. Uh, you know, for being fans and making a happy wrestling family, and uh, my dream came true—wanting to be a wrestler—and. For all the fans out there, I hope all your dreams come true too. Because life's a life's a quick dream. We're we're in a temporary vehicle in the third dimension, which is the dimension of mass to feel each other. And when a man and woman get together, it's such an ecstasy. We create more of ourselves, and creation goes on. So, but all the best to everybody out there. so,
1: hopefully, the world will
0: finally be at peace with each other. Thank God.
1: Well, thank you so much for coming on, sir. And for everybody. Thank you very much. Yes. I mean, absolutely. This has been an absolute pleasure. It's been a blast. And so everybody out there, we're just going to say goodbye and God bless.
0: All right. Well, goodbye. And thank you all. The Big L.